People in the know call my guest Cadre DS. And if you've strapped a GoRuck rucksack on your back, you probably know who I'm talking about. DS is on a life mission to keep himself at ready for whatever level of fitness. And he's training others as well. That whatever for him has meant firefights and combat zones, marshaling aircraft after an earthquake, and now starting a new journey, life as a father. Let's meet DS, a.k.a. Dan Skidmore, on this episode of Pickup Six Podcast. My brother, it's good to see you, man. Thank you. Every time uh, you guys reference that uh, ready for whatever, it always goes back to I got to I got to fill this in real quick. So yeah. one of my best friends, uh, his name's Anthony James, AJ. And he's a, he's an SF guy out at, uh, well, was at 10th group. He's at the dive school now. And he used to come in every day and train with me. Cause it was like the spot, right. As he was going through Q course. And then every time he'd come back for like additional training and he, and there's this rap song by TI. If you ever get a chance to, uh, listen to it, you know, he, he's ready for whatever, cause you never know what's going to go down. Right. So you always got to have a gun on you yeah. and you always got to be ready for whatever. And AJ would come in and be like, man, I gotta, I gotta, that's my play. That's my gym song as I'm going to train with Dan. Cause you never know what you're going to get that day. And, uh, so I always get excited. <laughs> it's like the, uh, you know, people are like, well, what are you training for? You're like well, uh, life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whatever it throws your way. Absolutely. I don't know what's coming. I need to be physically ready to pick up my family and remove them from harm's way. If that's what I'm tasked with doing today. Can you do that? Are you ready to do Definitely. that? Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they that's get a, a question you should older. ask yourself little, every day. Right. They get a little bit older. They grow. It becomes more of a challenge. All right. So stay hard. <laughs> so, exactly. Lift a little bit more. That's right. All right. Let's get into it. Man. Let's get to know you a little bit. I, I've known you for years, but it's the first time we've been able to actually chat because I've just known you through GORUCK stuff, through F3 stuff. We can leave our F3 nicknames aside, but Hello Kitty here, got Little Spoon there, so we just get that pleasantry out of the way. I got my daily rucksack that doesn't have any weight in it. That takes my laptop in. The other one's in the back of the truck, and then we're also rocking GORUCK today. So we got kind of we got it all kind of covered from all these different angles. Perfect. Yeah. So where are you from, man? So I grew up in Ohio. Uh, my family was all from Michigan. And so, you know, spent my childhoods kind of bouncing back and forth between Southeastern Ohio and uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, grew up there and then joined the Air Force when I was 18. So straight out of high school and then bounced around training from there. Uh, spent the last, well, it was the last 10 years uh, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, I was stationed there basically the whole time after training. And then stayed after I got out in 2015. Uh, and then last about two and a half years, I've lived out in Morocco. So Northern Africa, uh, mm-hmm. just South of Portugal and Spain. And, uh, so that's the, the geography. Yeah. How, how, what, uh, what year did you go in the air force? What year did you enlist? I joined in 2006. Okay. So you're five years, nine 11 removed. Is that a pivotal, I mean, it was a pivotal life moment for all of us, but for your decision process on that, is that kind of, that kind of stayed in your brain? those five years later to, to sign up? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Uh, and if you don't know, you, you should know. Um, but yeah, definitely played a, played a pivotal role and, uh, it was eye opening for sure. Did you know going in the air force, did you have an idea what you wanted to do? You ended up in special operations, a combat controller, like our good friend, Eric Holman, who actually got us connected on a text message. Eric was on our show a few months ago. We had the distinct honor and privilege of having Mark Forrester's brother, Thad, on our airwaves as well. 
So we know a little bit about combat controllers here on this podcast because we've been able to talk about it a few times. Did you know that was your path when you got into the Air Force? Uh, I knew that I wanted my path to be challenging and to get me out of uh, just, you know, Athens, Ohio. Um, so I was ready for really a big change in some direction. I didn't know the te- the technicality that the combat control would uh, expose me to, as well as the like lethality. Uh, so I was I served with uh, Mark. I was really good friends with Mark actually, and then I went to like air traffic control and the pipeline with Eric. So we go way back. I mean, I've known that guy for almost twenty years now. Uh, I was thinking about it, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. Um, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I was at air traffic control school. Right. You because you never really know how it's going to be until you're really on the X, right? You can read all the books you want, but like, do you really know what you're getting yourself into? Or are you just preparing for that up and coming uh, challenge that is going to come your way? Uh, I wish, I kind of wish I would have known a little bit more, but at the end of the day, that's the nature of the beast is like, you don't know. Um, But you prepare as best as you can. What do you remember most about Mark? Man, I just remember Mark as like an authentic, genuine guy. Uh, and he wasn't the like, you know, he's a he's a schoolboy, like he's a you know straight shooter guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've told this story a couple of times. Like one night, me and a buddy, we were up in Michigan doing this uh, close air support training and crazy weather, like snowy all throughout. We were training and uh, being one of the other guys, one of his best friends, we went out drinking the night before and like came back in the middle of the night and woke Mark up and he was not super stoked about it. Well, the next day he had hidden an alarm clock in like this vacation rental place, like stuck behind the, an, underneath the dresser to go off at like three forty-five AM. Oh. So, you know, the next day we're like <laughs> blaring this alarm clock and we're like, where is this coming from? And Mark had covertly hidden this uh, <laughs> alarm clock to, to mess with us. So, you know, Mark is a killer and, uh, and he was just, you know, an authentic good guy. Um, and, and went out, you know, doing what he, what he could and uh, went out like a hero. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I love that story, man. He said, you know what? I'm back trying to get some shut eye. These guys are out being terrible. I'm going to show them what's up. He got, he got one up on you on that one. It's good. He, he definitely did. And we had no idea. And he, he would have never, he would have never had to come clean with it. But, uh, you know, it was just like that mark. Like, Hey, I got you guys. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> We got to, you know, I got to feel and, and felt like I really did get to know him and talking to his brother and reading his brother's book, which is incredible in the way that he weaves in stories about Mark's life. It is, it is a, it's a, it's an intense world, right? That you're living in, especially when you're downrange with what you guys are tasked with doing. And you're talking about having to call in close air support in the middle of firefights. The first time you're in that, and we don't have to spend a lot of time, you know, telling me a bunch of crazy war stories, but happy to hear them. But, but the first time you're in that, man, you're in a fight and you got to call it in. What's that experience like? What are those moments like? Well, uh, the first time that I was really close to getting shot um, and the bullets are like kicking up dirt around my feet, I just remember kind of retreating, returning fire, and then ending up in this like little mud hut. Uh, and there was just potatoes like all over the floor. And I kind of looked around and I was like, well, here we are. Like, this is what you, this is what it's all about. And you can either hang out and do nothing, but, or you can get after it and get in the action. And, uh, and so you have that choice to make like right then, uh, that, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna end up, uh, spending your last minutes on some crappy hillside somewhere and, uh, and surrounded by potatoes on the floor. So 
you gotta get after it and rely on your training and be be the guy in the fight. So that was my first experience with it. Yeah, this is intense, man. Yeah. Intense. Tell me about the um the feeling of empowerment, the feeling of confidence when you call on the world's greatest fighting force from the sky and, and the thunder they're able to bring on your behalf. Yeah, I mean it's in, it's incredible, right? I mean, you hear the stories. Uh, I read the book Robert's Ridge on the way to basic training, and uh, and was kind of empowered by that story. But you know, that's that's the connection you have as a guy with a couple radios that can bring absolute bring the rain, right? Um, and you can make it happen. And and all the SF guys feel that un, until they really need to feel it. And uh, and so it kind of reinforces why you're there why you're on the team and why you've done the training that you have. Let me ask you this, right? So you're able to call them in. Uh, what aircraft made you feel like if they were coming in, like it was going to be a bad day for the bad guys? Well, the A-10 has got to be that, right? They're right there. You can hear it. It's got a distinct sound mm-hmm. and, um, and and just flying around. It's, it's so looming um, and you can see them because they're a lot of times low and, and relatively slow. That, um, but you know, you don't always get the A10 off the off the drop. So uh, maybe maybe it's a OH58. The the Kiowas, right? They saved my life. And um, so, really, anything that comes your way, you got to be able to solve the problem with whatever you have, because you don't always have like a bomber on station. You don't always have an AC130. And so, having the confidence uh, and the capabilities to solve whatever the problem is on the ground with whatever you can get cut that day, you know, because there's not always just one firefight, uh, but there's a limited number of assets. So you see, I'm like the kind of like guy. It. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, your reputation and things that I've just seen and is that you, again, you know, you want to stay ready, right? You're, you're trying to stay ready for whatever is thrown at you. What kind of lessons did you learn about that in those moments that have prepared you for the other things that would come at you in life? Sure. So, um, well, First time, uh, you know, one time, one firefight, I left my helmet, uh, you know, my bulletproof helmet in the truck because I thought it was just going to be a quick walk up the hill to see what we were getting after. And then, you know, hell, hell breaks loose. And, uh, and all of a sudden you're looking around for like some protection and you're, and something to hold up your MVGs because you don't anticipate getting stuck on the mountain, uh, until dark. And so, that can transfer over into like, Hey, you know, have your gear packed, have what you need in your ruck and take it with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you're not able to like, just go back to your, your vehicle. You might not be able in in an emergency situation. You might not be able to go back to the house and get your AR and your kit on. Right. So having what you need packed and it doesn't have to be like your helmet and everything, but like your water in your bag snacks that can last you for as long as you need. And then being prepared. You know, if you're not fueled properly, if you're not conditioned uh, to be out on the, the mission, because it might you might be blocked for 12 hour or 24, but man, that can extend really quickly. And so you got to be prepared for that kind of thing, no matter where you're at. It's the uh, sort of the mantra of, you know, two is one and one is none sometimes, you know, right. and we use that a lot in the rucking space or in the prepared space. Guys, it's as simple as, and I say simple and I, and I don't mean it lightly, of having a go bag ready to go. You got room in your car, your truck, whatever, to have a bag with some essentials that you might need. You you don't know. You don't know. Right. right? Well, and the, the other thing is that the, the more you know, the less you need, 
right? Mm. And so you can always be training more. You can always, and to remove little pieces of gear. So if two is one and one is none, then you end up with a, you know, a GR2 for an everyday operation carrying way too much, right? right. The, the bigger your bag is, the more you're going to carry. Uh, but that's not really realistic when you need to be light and fast. And, um, and so if you know more, if you can, you know, have some extra training to extend your skills, then you don't need as much and you can make do for longer. So there's that dichotomy there, uh, but it's just preparedness and, and constantly training. Did you say the more, you know, the less you need, is that right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. We might have to redo the, the gif, the more, you know, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the more, you know, the less you need. Yeah. Uh, I heard that from a, a good buddy of mine, Chris way. He was a go ruck selection finisher years ago and, uh, and taught me a lot. Um, but that's, I mean, I think that truth stands the test of time is, uh, you know, and, and even the guys at the top end, they're masters of the basics, right? And so yeah. they know more, so they don't need all this extra G whiz stuff, right? They'll rely on some technology, but they can also excel at the, the, the very simple tasks. And then it all boils back down to that. I, I don't, you can't do extraordinary things if you don't do everyday things as good as you can, right? You've got yeah, to, you got to lean in on that. January 12th, 2010, devastating earthquake hits Haiti. You end up there a day later, uh, as part of efforts. Part of that is not only rescuing a bunch of Americans, but I believe marshalling more than 100 aircraft working with Haitian air traffic personnel. What an experience, man. Yeah, that was cool. Um, and I was really lucky to be placed on that team. Uh, the night before we were doing a, a big jump train up with all of our free fall jumps. And then uh, one of my instructors, uh, Jack Fanning, who's another legend uh, in the combat control community, he had unfortunately he had had an accident the night before and they had just briefed us on this. And it was just like, oh man, what the hell? This is crazy. Uh, he had broken his neck doing a skydiving um, accident. And then the next day, you know, after our jumps, we get called in and it's like, Hey, this aircraft that you've been cut to work with all week for your free fall train up, we're going to, they're going to take you down to Haiti. And it was such kind of a whirlwind, um, operation, you know, guys first there on the ground, organizing and making things happen. Uh, I think we moved more airlift than, uh, overall than civilian and military than the Berlin airlift. Mm -hmm with zero safety incidents. So that's, uh, it's kind of a you know, cool claim to fame there. Yeah. That's incredible. You know what? Uh, not to make this all about me, but one of the best experiences of my life is I got to fly on the spirit of Ramia C-54 Douglas from Florida nice. down to Puerto Rico. And they use that aircraft in the Berlin airlift. And this was humanitarian efforts oh, during wow. the cold war to deliver food and supplies to people right behind yeah. lines where they couldn't get stuff to them. So that's wild. It was, it was pretty neat experience, man. We, and like legit, like two dudes up there flying it. It was a flying museum. We just came hot in yeah. Puerto Rico. <laughs> Flew down. Well, I, I didn't even know where Haiti was, you know, before yeah. uh, the whole thing happened. It wasn't like I was a geography expert at the time. And so we're, we get alerted in the morning. So we didn't, we didn't have a show time until later in the afternoon. So we're doing night jumps. And so I get a call and it's like, Hey, get your stuff. We're, uh, we're rolling down to Haiti for this earthquake. And I was like, okay, well, plans change just like that. And, uh, and that evening we landed boots on the ground in Haiti and, uh, worked for about 
three days with no sleep. And then we kind of worked out a little uh, schedule with the other, all the other controllers that were down there. And uh, that was the norm for a couple of couple weeks. Man, that's incredible. Uh, what did you see on the ground there where people were just, I'm sure plenty of it, just going out of their way uh, to maybe even risk themselves, take care of other folks that had been through a bad, a bad situation. Yeah, it was incredibly humbling to see the amount of uh, personnel, supplies, and, uh, and you know, even private jets that were coming in to help uh, and do anything they could, which is, you know, the private jets were showing up full and then leaving empty. So bringing in um, medicine, equipment, food, resources to the people that had just went through a crazy experience and really had their lives cave in on them. Because the way that the houses were built, there was this big hill. And just from uh, doing some aerial reconnaissance, uh, when the earthquake happened, it like, you know, the mud and everything went straight down this hill and just covered people and uh, and then collapsed a bunch of buildings. And so the amount of, you know, just overall resources and care that immediately was focused there, it was really, really amazing to see that. And uh, and when people were motivated, man, we can really turn it on and make some, make some good change in the world. Uh, so we saw that in that instance. Yeah. Incredible, man. Uh, you got out in 2015. So when you made that decision, made that movement, what, what did you think was next? Well, I just hit a couple of uh, pretty spicy trips to Iraq in 2015 for that madness that was going on around there. And, uh, and I had a daughter. Uh, Why? Well, still have a daughter. She didn't go anywhere. Uh, and I really wanted to focus on, you know, building up my business, which was the gym, as well as just dad ops, right? Not missing out on a bunch of time uh, in trade for deployment time. Um, so, you know, made that with a pretty solid plan and had a, a steady job waiting for me and uh, wanted to focus on developing that business aspect. So got right into it. How'd you get connected with GoRuck from there? So uh, I got out in 2015 and then one of my uh, really good friends that was served with me in the last couple of deployments. He was the RTO, the radio, radio guy on the team. And he became a member at the gym. Uh, you might know him, Cadre Fury. Uh, I'm not sure what his F3 name is, but he was a member of the gym and he came in one day and, and he was like, man, like, you know, I started this thing. It's awesome. I travel around, get to train with these guys. And uh, it's a lot of fun. You might be into it. And at that point I was kind of like starting to feel that grind of like, of, you know, showing up to the same thing, doing the same thing every day, mm -hmm. every day, every day, every day. And that routine, whereas in the military, I didn't have that. I liked Fort Bragg because I was TDY away from there so frequently. Uh, but I was stuck, you know, for a year plus and, uh, and really looking for something to, you know, add to the adventure, right? Travel, uh, influence more folks, right? Tell the story and, and get outside and train with people. And so Todd hooked me up with that and um, said, Hey, you'd be into it. There's an event coming up in Raleigh, go do the event. It was a tough and man, it was hard. Um, I was currently in a totally different training modality and just wanted to see what the whole go ruck thing was. Cause I really didn't know much about it. And uh, just, just kind of jumped in and really enjoyed it. What did you like most about it? Well, I liked that it was hard. Uh, it really challenged uh, challenged the teams. I mean, we hit easily 20 miles uh, through the night carrying a lot of stuff. And there was, you know, Marine officers. There was, uh, you know, Navy guys. There was a, a really broad group of 
participants and it brought us all together and it was really freaking hard. So, and I hadn't felt that level of uh, physical challenge since going through like the tier one uh, assessment and selection, you know, that like carrying a litter for nonstop hours. I mean, it takes you to a level of like a dig deep, right? You don't get that from just training in the gym. You, you really have to um, put it up to somebody else, let them plan it out and then show up and see if what you've been doing works and, uh, and then what you can improve upon in the future. So I really like that, that it showed me, Hey, like, you know, this is, this is hard and, and you can do it and you can, you can evolve as a team because it's going to, it's going to take mm-hmm. a team. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that about it. Yeah. It, it, we did a major overnight movement uh, at a recent grow ruck event, which is sort of F three's version of a heavy and it's 16 hours for somewhere between 12 and 18 hours. You don't know how long it's going to be until you're into it until it's over. And on that night, um, I obviously didn't have my watch on my DS and I wasn't tracking miles because, you know, I follow the rules, but someone had a device somewhere and it was somewhere between 24 and 26 miles by the time it was all said and done. And yeah. and not only, yeah, are you physically spent, but you're having to exert quite a bit of mental energy from the team building standpoint. And I think mm-hmm. there is something incredibly important for people, men and women, because in the GORUCK space, they've got men and women events. You gotta, you might not work at, in a team atmosphere like that ever, ever in your job, in your life, in your family, you each might not be involved in something like that. I think there's something important in that space. Yeah. Anytime you can look at really hard challenges and problem solve right throughout the time. And there is some, some route planning and some teamwork and Hey, working, uh, working the, the strengths and weaknesses of your team. There's huge benefit in that. And it's not just like mindless PT. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not uh, there. There should be you know, a cognitive part to challenge that keeps you engaged. And, uh, and I think that's what the best cadre, the go rock cadre do. And, uh, and any, any type of training that gets your mind working with what your body's doing, especially when your body's broken down, you've got to be able to problem solve and work through the issues that are coming up over the course of, you know, a full half day. Yeah. Yeah. You, we've talked about those team events. You've also seen them happen at GORUCK selection events where it's mono e mono. And the most recent selection, I believe, was Chad finishing it up, I think, for like the last day by himself mm-hmm. of having to plug away by himself. What have you seen individuals overcome in that space? Well, there's not a lot of guys built like Chad, right? I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's a, a special dude as it is. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, the, the cadre and the GORUCK selection, the criteria is you're going to go until it's done. And I think that for every dude, whether it's at BUDS or SFAS or PJ Comic Control Indoc, like you're going to go until what the cadre says, that's enough. Right. And it could look like an entire day and then, Oh, tackle on a thousand eight count bodybuilders before you go to chow. Right. And you just have to, the guys that are going to fade away are going to fade away regardless. Uh, But that it does take a lot of uh, personal integrity and, and commitment to get through that by yourself. There's a, you'll see it over and over. You've seen it in the selection. It usually boils down to one guy and that guy's still standing and he's, he's going to complete it, whether he's got five guys helping him move stuff or not. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's hundreds, if if not maybe thousand dudes in, in the States right now 
or in the world that can complete that, right? And they're either wearing a uniform or they've got a task in life that, you know, calls them somewhere else. Uh, but there's, you know, I think there's a saying like, hey, if uh, 10 well-trained and, and committed men are better than 100 without a head, right? And so the rug selection brings that one guy every year, right? And I mean, we run it so uh, infrequently that, only one guy a year is going to be able to, to knock it out. And it's a rare breed. Yep. Talking to a guy who's got just uh, incredible life experiences. Uh, DS, uh, again, seems to me like you, you just, you embrace the experience, right? What, what comes before you, uh, right? CCT, the Haiti thing, the GORUCK experience. I know you've done some work with our friends at Force Blue, right? You know, Tom Mulliken and Steve Gonzo? Oh, yeah. Uh, now, now, Steve, I think is a little bit newer to the uh, force blue scene. I was team two. And mm -hmm. so I get in with them as often as I can, but I haven't had the opportunity to train with those guys yet. Um, just other ops have been going on. And, uh, and then we had a little scheduling uh, conflict. Uh, I was supposed to go down and do some uh, coral work, but the Garuk Sandlot event is coming up in Jax uh, the same time. So got to deconflict. But man, yeah, it's all about the experience, right? And getting reps in and uh, and chasing that down because we only have one, right? You only have one experience, mm -hmm. and uh, you want to soak it all up. And Force Blue has been huge for me. I, we, I mean, we could do an entire podcast about the benefits yeah, of that. I love, uh, but it, it really like life change. Yeah, it's it's really magical, and uh, and we can talk about it all day. But at the same time, you're not going to feel it um, unless you're there, and that it it really turned a lot of things around for me personally. Hmm. Um, I was in kind of a, a a pivotal point and uh and I, I can't thank those guys enough so i love yeah. it well they got special operators back in teams doing things that you guys are equipped to do in trying to save the planet uh which i just think is incredibly commendable well uh, you know our all of our efforts focus focused on ocean conservation mm -hmm. right and uh and that's a, it's a bleak space, right? Because things are not going in the right direction. And so, you know, you even look at like plastics, right? That's one small yeah. sector of the whole thing. And it's like, okay, we've done all this. And then, you know, a billion and a half masks get thrown into the ocean and all the mini plastic particles from that. So it's like, it's like a, uh, you know, the self licking ice cream cone of mm -hmm. suck um, that is just ridiculous. But man, like if we can make those little changes that, you can enjoy, you can see, hey, you can do good. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really powerful organization. Yeah. Life experiences, one of which uh, might seem a little out of left field for most people. Start a hotel in Morocco. What was that all about? <laughs> yeah, man, that was a, that's a continuing an adventure. Uh, you know, after a lot of you, know, a couple of years running the gym in North Carolina uh, and some like craziness happening. We had a flood there. We had a, a tire breaking our roof. I mean, just some like weird acts of nature and, and other unworldly forces. Uh, my wife and I were like, Hey, maybe we need to, you know, check things out somewhere else. And, uh, and so we, we took a vacation, her, her family's from there. So she's half Moroccan and uh, we went visited, spent, like about a month out there and we were thinking, you know, talking, I think we were doing some like crazy hike and we we're like, man, wouldn't it be cool to come out here and just like kick it? Like you can live like a King out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seemed like the wild, wild west uh, in some capacity, which I was really drawn to. It was like the best parts of Afghanistan, Iraq, and then California and Nevada kind of blended together. 
um, very liberal culture. And I, I loved it. So we were, we were thinking about what we could do there and opening up a boutique hotel is what a lot of expats have done. There's a, there's, I mean, the country is beautiful, uh, and it's very safe, very affordable, and you can live like a King. So we went out, found a property and, uh, and renovated this old, ancient, you know, old family home near the heart of the city to the Medina, the old city. I mean, it's like, it's like you're walking down the streets in Aladdin. Uh, that's yeah. the feel that you get. Yeah. And so we've opened up a eight bedroom, uh, Airbnb. I don't want to say Airbnb, but boutique hotel is the best term for it. And really trying to open up that gate and, uh, allow people to experience that area and that culture. And, uh, so we're, we're mission complete on it. It's running, it's going really well and people are enjoying the experience. We'll plug it. What's the name of it? It's called Riyadh La Vie and Riyadh is the style of house. So it's like in a uh, square uh, open courtyard, all connected to other homes because it's a, it's right in like the downtown uh, main city and la vie is like the life in French, right? So what life do you want to live? Do you want to live the adventurous life, the beautiful life, the chill life? Uh, you know, there's something for everybody out there. And so when I was kind of hanging out on the rooftop, it, when I first got there, I was like, man, this is the life. And this is the life that we want to live and the experience that we want to have and share. And so that's how we, we came up with Riyadh La Vie. And uh, we've got a website. We could plug that. But um, yeah, tell them. Yeah, tell them. Look, I want it, people to go check it out. That's it. And, uh, and everybody that goes, I mean, we've got, we're, even if you don't stay at our place, like I want to help you have the best experience that you can, um, by setting you up with our friends, our people that we vetted and, uh, and having a good authentic experience. And so when people go, like we, we've already done a bunch with, uh, GRTs and folks that are kind of in, in our community already. Um, but just making sure that they have a, a good time out there. And, uh, that's what we've got going on. I love it, man. Why do you think it is so important for people to get outside and conduct physical activity outside? Outside. Well, um, so I'll reference uh, Michael Easter's book, the guy that wrote, wrote the, the comfort crisis. We spend so much time inside and it's, you're shut off from the hot, the cold, you're in a climate controlled environment. You're not feeling nature. You're not feeling the bugs. You're not, you're not connected. Um, and that goes exactly against your human biology. I mean, if you're not uh, stressing your system a little bit every day, getting those little micro doses of stress, right? Your body's going to shut off and create problems for it and start killing yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that's like, hey, do hard things, even if it's like, you know, CrossFit or sauna or extreme uh, exposure, like cold, cold baths, um, you get that outside very frequently, right? Doing hard things. And uh, I mean, I'm out in the sun right now. I'm like soaking in the vitamin D, right? And that's just part of this whole thing. And I think that the more you can do that, the better off you are uh, healthy wise uh, and just getting connected back to your caveman roots. That's right. You, uh, you got a new little one in the mix, uh, yeah. young son. How is that giving you a chance to kind of refocus perspective, uh, hit whatever reset buttons you need. Just tell me, talk me through that, uh, this next phase of fatherhood. Well, 
I, I always thought it'd be interesting. Like, and I'm glad that I had a daughter before I had a son mm-hmm. because it softened me up a lot. And, uh, and now I'm not like, well, hopefully I don't, you know, not too hard on it. Uh, for me, like it was a weird time to have kids as it is. Well, every time is a weird time to have kids because you're always concerned about the environment that you're putting them into and you're growing them towards and, and eventually gonna, you know, kick out of the nest and let them do his own thing. Um, but you know, just, it's amazing if you can, when you can create life and see it the whole time through. Uh, and even with him now, I'm getting to see all these like daily evolutions and, and mm-hmm. changes that he's making uh, that I missed before while I was off serving in uh, in the Air Force capacity. So I'm loving it, man. Just soaking it all in uh, and, and having a fun time. Yep. That event you talked about uh, happening down in Jacksonville. If you guys listen to this in real time, it's the weekend of April 22nd, 23rd ish time frame. Uh, we had Jason McCarthy on a few weeks ago. It sounds like it's going to be an incredible event. It's basically a festival of fitness and just awesome people. Sandlot Jacks, J A X is the website to go check it out. DS will be down there. So get opportunity if you want to see him uh, to head down that way. Where else can folks find you? They want to follow you, uh, see what you're up to. Where can they find you? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Instagram, I'm at, at Dan Skidmore 11 or uh, Facebook's cadre DS. I did have a, a personal alter ego uh, at one point, but man, I've just like, you know, as, as, as toxic as social media is, it really connects us all and it allows us to reach out and touch somebody. And, uh, and so I, I try to be as, as turned on as I can. And if you need something, I've put it out there before. It's like, Hey, you know, if we're, if we're all connected through, you know, seven separations. Um, but that's, that's it. I mean, you can shoot me an email. Uh, we're, we're out here. Yeah. I'm with you, man. Like, look, there's a lot of crap out there, right? There's a lot of toxicity Mm -hmm. to that, those platforms. There's also a chance for you to hop on an Instagram live and lead a sandbag workout and actually really connect with people, uh, and Mm -hmm. share that experience, uh, and get, and get them moving. What's your advice for the average American that's listening that wants to, I want to do a little something, a little something more. What would you tell them? Well, uh, start by getting outside and go for walks, right? I mean, take, take 15 minutes a day and try to get a mile in 15 minutes, right? And, and that's like the most basic thing you can do. Uh, or just, you know, somebody way out of shape, hey, just do one burpee. And one is going to lead to, okay, that wasn't that bad. I can probably do five. And then, and if that's the five that you can do, if that's the one minute of exercise that you get in a day, like it's going to snowball uh, of positivity. And that's what one rep or one mile takes you mm-hmm. to. And so just start getting outside and going for walks. Uh, and then the next evolution is put a ruck on and uh, and load it up a little bit. And that snowball is going to build and you're going to start getting getting momentum. And that's where, man, that's where the magic happens. I don't know anything that's gotten worse by doing a burpee. Yeah, have not a, not really too a much. Shitty not day? Really. Cool. Do a couple burpees, man. Like, let's go. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I love it, man. This has been a fun conversation. We should do it again sometime. Anytime. I'm always open to it. Where is the next adventure, man? What's on the horizon? So I'll actually be up uh, running the Go Ruck event in Charlotte, North Carolina, this weekend, and then uh, and then yeah, the next big thing for us is the Sandlot Jacks. Uh, that's going to be a kind of culmination of planning and getting all of our friends together and, uh, and some of the, you know, people outside of the rucking community, a lot of OCR, uh, studs are coming out there. There's the go ruck games that, uh, I've been very intimately involved in and man, it's a $50,000 purse. And so just what? seeing guys, 
yeah, just seeing dudes literally fight uh, to show what they've got. I mean, it's going to be a very uh, entertaining event. And so any of your listeners, if you've got the weekend off of April 22nd, make the drive. Uh, Jax is beautiful. It's going to be super, super great weather, hopefully. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll do it in the rain if it does. If it's not, but, you'll uh, do it. Yeah, exactly. There's not. Yeah, we're going to be, we're going to do it anyways. Uh, Go work makes a killer rain jacket. But uh, that's, that's what we've got. Uh, I've got a couple of events, you know, planned out throughout the year. But just training every day, you know. That's right. The most interesting man in the world, uh, in my opinion, doesn't drink those Ekes. I think he's on the other end of this podcast here. I'm just glad we, uh, <laughs> we got connected and had a chance to do it, man. We yeah. know keep getting after it. <laughs> well, thank you. Absolutely. He's Dan Skidmore, better known in uh, the Go Rock world as Cadre DS. Brother, thank you for your service. Thanks for what you've done on behalf of the United States of America and for what you continue to do. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Anytime. He's Cadre Diaz. I'm Brian Jodas. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. <laughs>